This is Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. If you vote in California and you're registered with the Peace and Freedom, Green, Republican, or Democratic parties, you'll get to make some extra choices in the March 5th election that only come around once every four years. And I'm not talking about the presidential primary. We talk about registering voters. We talk about setting the local and state party platform. That's just sort of the basic duties and the mandate. Where the real power comes is chartering clubs, endorsements of candidates and ballot measures across the city, and fundraising. So this group could essentially elect the next supervisor in your neighborhood. Today, we're going to explore the workings of San Francisco's party county central committees, the people who run those four political parties on the local level. I'm Lila LaHood, and this is Civic. Before we start, I want to tell you a little bit about our nonpartisan voter guide that you can find if you go to sfpublicpress.org. We at the Public Press don't do endorsements. We do provide research summaries of all the ballot measures in both text and audio formats that break down what each measure is really about. We also have information about who supports and who opposes each measure. We include candidate bios for all the candidates running to represent San Francisco in local and state government positions. We sent each candidate a question about how they would address specific issues in San Francisco, and you can hear what they had to say. Just go to sfpublicpress.org to check out the March 2024 SF Election Guide. Now let's get back to our discussion about party county central committees in San Francisco. You probably already know that voters in San Francisco don't all see the same ballots. Depending on your address, you may be voting for a U.S. congressional representative in District 11 or District 15. And there's another map that determines whether you'll be choosing among candidates in California State Assembly District 17 or District 19. And because this is a presidential primary, you also get to choose which party primary to vote in, although things get complicated here depending on which party you're registered with or if you declined to provide a political party preference, like me. As a journalist, I hold to the traditional standards of our profession. I don't register with a political party, and I don't make donations to political campaigns. And because the San Francisco Public Press is a 501c3 nonprofit, we don't endorse candidates. But getting back to the ballot. If you're a California voter and you are registered with one of six parties, in alphabetical order, the American Independent Party, the Democratic Party, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, or the Republican Party, you received in the mail a ballot to vote in your party's presidential primary. And in San Francisco, if you're registered with the Democratic, Republican, Peace and Freedom, or Green Party, your ballot also lists candidates for your San Francisco County Central Committee. These are the people who officially run those parties in San Francisco. They decide which measures and candidates the party will endorse, and they support the formation of local political clubs. They also coordinate in various ways with their parties at the state and national levels and party members vote for them by Assembly District 2. So again, depending on where you live in San Francisco, you'll see a different set of names on your ballot. To be precise, I should say that the Green Party calls their local entity a county council. But when I'm talking about these entities collectively, I'll refer to them as central committees. Before we get too far into this discussion, I want to tie up one loose end about the presidential primary. If you're like me, and you're not registered with a party, your mail-in ballot won't have any presidential candidates on it. 
you can still request a ballot to vote in the presidential primary for one of three parties that allow, quote, no party preference voters to participate. Those are the American Independent Party, the Democratic Party, and the Libertarian Party. All other parties require that you be registered with them to participate in their primaries. Now for the party county central committees, which hold their elections every four years along with their presidential primaries. I talked with representatives from all four parties that run county committees in San Francisco. I also talked with Theo Ellington, vice president of Northern California for Strategies 360, a political strategy firm, to give a more general overview of the system. He has also worked as a community organizer and has worked on a variety of political campaigns in San Francisco, though he's not working on any for this election. That is most basic level. These county central committees, whether it be Democrat, Republican, Green, etc., their jobs are to mobilize the party and register voters. They also set the local and state party platform. So really brass tacks, the county central committee's role is to register voters mobilize the party. As you see, San Francisco is primarily a Democratic base here. So the party is used really to register voters, set the party platform. But they also have this unique power in that they can charter other Democratic clubs. So if you hear of Alice B. Toklas Democratic Club or Harvey Milk Democratic Club or United Dems, these are sort of neighborhood and affinity Democratic clubs where folks get the opportunity to fundraise, they get the opportunity to endorse candidates based off sort of the geographic area. So it's really another tool in the sort of voting toolbox. We'll hear more from Ellington, but first I'd like to introduce you to the representatives of the parties that run central committees in San Francisco. This is John Dennis, chair of the San Francisco Republican Party and head of the California GOP. We're actually growing in San Francisco Republican registrations at a five-year high, and we continue to do that. That's our primary goal right now. We've had a lot of trouble in the city, issues that we're facing, and I think the problem is that we have a one-party system and one-party rule, and I think what the city desperately needs is a little more balance. And so uh, growing San Francisco Republican Party is going to impact the book. Like, for example, as people notice that a registration is going up, it forces the Democrat Party to react, maybe go get overly enthusiastic and move too far to the left, and maybe they'll move back to the center if they notice that the is paying more attention to the Republican Party. We act independently, but we also have the state and then the national goals in mind. And one of the things that's very important to the national party is the congressional delegate of California. I think it's fair to say that between us and New York and then the additional congressional seats picked up in Florida, we, the three states, were the difference in winning back the House. But all eyes are on California, retaining the seats that we have, some of which were won in very close races. And we also have possibility of picking up a couple of seats. So I think that's getting a lot of attention. And there are a couple of swing districts, the Assembly and the Senate, that we're also looking at. And here's Barry Hermanson, representing the San Francisco Green Party, which operates its county councils using a slightly different model than the other parties. This is what is making the political races for the Republican Democratic Central Committees so important is that those bodies actually make endorsements, uh, essentially recommendations, to the rest of the registered voters here in San Francisco. Our county council doesn't do that. We prefer to have our membership make decisions. And so it is either at our general membership meeting or perhaps even during a vote during a regularly scheduled election. The position is primarily we're helping to put together 
agendas for our monthly meetings. And of course, any Green Party member is very welcome to join us and help to actually prepare that agenda. We do make some decision, you know, administrative decisions between our general membership meetings. Our numbers in San Francisco have dwindled. We were never a huge party here, but we're a fraction of what we were. And it is a struggle to actually be increasing our numbers, particularly as this town gets more and more gentrified. Many of our people have had to leave town because they can't afford to be here anymore. They're living in the East Bay or the North Bay or wherever. So it's a challenge. We also talked to Megan Adams of the Peace and Freedom Party. The county central committees are actually really essential for a Peace and Freedom Party. So when somebody runs for county central committee, they become delegates to the August Party Convention. And those are the people who decide who the nominee will be on the November ballot. So these are the people who are deciding who the presidential and vice presidential candidates are. And so the people who run it's to so that they can put their vote in to say who will be on the ballot in November. So I'm running and I really hope to be able to be part of this process. The other part about it is that all of the candidates who have put in their request to be potential nominees of Peace and Freedom are also on the ballot in the March primary. And so even though that is not the vote outcome from the March primary for the presidential and vice presidential candidates, is not necessarily who will be on the ballot in November, but it does give a litmus test of what people in the state are feeling. And so kind of all of this we see as being, it's like the first important step in this entire process. I think this is one that as we look at the world around us, what do I care about? Where do my values align? And for, I think, especially those that are looking and saying, I'm tired of war, or I believe schools should be funded. I think that higher education should be free, that we shouldn't have student debt, that when you look at what everybody stands for and what people fight for, which is different, that I believe that they should go with what they believe. That's why I think we have seen a growth in PFP as there's been so many people who are getting frustrated what they see around them. I learned something interesting from Hermanson when I asked him how the Green Party and Peace and Freedom Party are different because their platforms seem to overlap quite a bit. And he told me that they sometimes collaborate to support state-level candidates in California. Peace and Freedom started way before us. Mm-hmm. I think they go back to the late 60s. And we really got started in the 80s and 90s. There's a lot of similarities in our platforms, but there are some differences. Mm-hmm. But we are doing more things cooperatively for instance, every four years, one of the ways that political parties can stay on the ballot is to be getting a certain percentage of votes in a statewide election. Mm-hmm. So every four years during a gubernatorial election, you'll see that we have candidates running for statewide office. And the last couple of times around, I think that we have, instead of the Green Party trying to field the full slate of governor, lieutenant governor, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, secretary of state, we have combined. And so it'll be a slate of one party is candidate as a governor and another party candidate as a lieutenant governor, et cetera, et cetera. And it helps to share because it's a tremendous cost to actually file to be running and then actually consider doing something of a campaign and not just to 
have your name on the ballot. So I've enjoyed that kind of collaboration, and I do look forward to more in the future. There are many things that we do agree on. And here's Honey Mahogany, chair of San Francisco's Democratic County Central Committee, also commonly known as the DCCC. Each different county has its own central committee, and those people who are registered Democrats who have updated their voter registration will get a ballot, and they will be able to vote in this race. And they are basically voting for people who align with their values, who they feel like would be good representatives on this committee that will then provide endorsements for upcoming ballot measures and also people for elected office. And those members also can have a role in the state party as well. And then, of course, they are also potentially able to run for and have a presence in the national party, the Democratic National Committee. There's a bit of a pipeline from the local to the state to the national committee. But a lot of the most of the hard work happens right here on the county level. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about when we look at local versus state versus national, you know, how much alignment is there? Does everybody agree? Are there healthy debates? I think politics is always a little bit messy, especially on the left. I think, you know, Democrats, it seems like there's a lot more infighting on the mm -hmm. left and a lot more falling in line on the right. I would say that there is a lot of discussion and internal struggle around many of the things that folks are talking about today, whether it be, you know, medical care or minimum wage or trans rights or immigration policy. I mean, all of these things, education, all of these things are being discussed and people have differing viewpoints and the party does its best to consolidate all of that feedback and then also figure out a way to move forward together. And I think we're, you know, we're stronger for those conversations. But I think we are also at a time in our history where there is, I think, a lot at stake. We are seeing a lot of people struggling right now. We have one meeting for all the members mm -hmm. once a month. And at those meetings, we discuss party business, which can be a range of things. But we specifically also discuss resolutions. So things that people think are important to make a statement on, put into public record, they will pass resolutions on or bring to the body and hopefully pass as a resolution. And that establishes basically the San Francisco Democratic Party's official stance on any given issue. This doesn't necessarily get adopted by the state party. That happens at the state party conventions. They have their own resolutions committee where all mm -hmm. of those things are considered. Each county central committee also plays a really important role in providing endorsements. When you are voting for these people, you're voting for people who you trust to make the right choice and right recommendations to you as a voter mm -hmm. for endorsement for public office. And it's not just candidates. It's also ballot measures. To give you a sense of scale, According to the San Francisco Department of Elections, we have 500,972 registered voters here. That number was updated on the department's website on February 26th. Of those, the Peace and Freedom Party has 2,491 registered members, the Green Party has 2,995, the Republican Party has 37,211, and the Democratic Party has a whopping 320,462 or 64% of all registered voters in San Francisco. Among the parties that don't use the party central committee system, the Libertarian Party has 3,195 members in San Francisco, and the American Independent Party has 9,905. That party benefits from a well-known phenomenon of people identifying as, quote, independent voters who check that box and don't realize they're joining a party. 
How many of us are registered with no party preference? 124,713, nearly 25% of the voters in San Francisco. Because of those party registration numbers, the Democratic Party gets the most attention in San Francisco. And because of its ability to influence the local political agenda by endorsing candidates and propositions, those seats have become even more valuable to those who seek to shape the local political landscape. I asked Theo Ellington to talk about party county central committees and the function they serve. If you look at the makeup of the DCCC, you'll see a lot of sort of familiar faces despite this being a down-ballot race. So you see former supervisors, you see up-and-comers, you see elected officials, all sort of vying for power over the party because the power of the party and the people who sit in these seats, they get to dictate the candidates that are endorsed during future elections. So that's why this is so important. We're seeing a shift in sort of city politics. We're seeing a shift in city sentiments. And we're having this really convergence of how to govern. And the progressives and the moderates are sort of squaring off in this battle. And that's why you're seeing so much attention focused on the Democratic Central Committee race this year. And this race is interesting because nine times out of 10, it's not a traditional race. You don't have polling. There's no sort of litmus test that you can put one through to determine if they are viable or not. It comes down to who can turn out the most people. And that's what I think we're going to see in March. How has money historically shaped local politics in San Francisco? And are you seeing that change today? When it comes to politics, you either have the money or the people. And the DCCC is really a vehicle for both. So we see money come into play, particularly when conditions are poor. If you look at what's happening on the streets of San Francisco, there is a sense amongst residents of frustration. And you see that spilling over into the field of politics where the progressive block of San Francisco, who has put up a slate of candidates, is going head on head against the moderate slate. And really, I think we all can agree that public safety, homelessness, affordability are all sort of top of mind for both sides. But where these factions differ is the approach. So progressives believe that San Francisco is being bought and sold, while moderates believe that residents are fed up with the current elected leadership and want a significant change. And then you see sort of the money and the people sort of take place from there. Whereas progressives feel like they're running people-centered campaigns and they feel like the moderates are spending a lot of money and using the DCCC as a vehicle to do that. And on the flip side of that, you have moderates who think the progressives are out of touch, who think that the progressives are soft on crime. So again, the issues we all agree on, but it's the approach that will play itself out in March. I asked Ellington to talk about the amount of money that has poured in for DCCC races this year. As of February 27th, across both assembly districts, candidates have raised nearly $2.3 million. I should note that fundraising limits that apply to other local candidates don't apply to people running for seats on party central committees. In the past, these weren't high-dollar campaigns. The stakes are high in March, as you can see, and the outcome here will be a clear indication of what could potentially happen in November. So all of the dollars, all of the people, everybody on both sides are hedging their bets on this race. One of the, the things that most folks don't know is, uh, as you mentioned, this sort of funding loophole. I'm skeptical of calling it a loophole, but it's a rule that allows 
unlimited fundraising for folks who are running in the Democratic Central Committee race. So a lot of times what you see is not only this position being a stepping stone for candidates who want to seek higher office, but also an opportunity for candidates to bolster their public profile and bolster their policy positions. So if I'm running for office in November and I need to increase my visibility or I need to increase my message points, it makes sense for me to run for DCCC in March as well. There are clear limits when it comes to board of supervisor races, when it comes to city college races or board of education races. And I think that was strategically put in place to keep big money out of politics, but also to level the playing field for common folks who wanted to sort of run for office. I think we'll eventually get to a point where this is addressed in the DCCC race, but I always jokingly say that the rules are the rules and people only change them when it doesn't work out in their favor. Another thing that we've been talking about a bit is the use of slates to group candidates together. How have slates been used in the past, and are you seeing them being used in different ways? In the context of the DCCC now, there are two primary slates that are running. The progressives have the labor and work and family slate, and then the moderates have the San Francisco Democrats for change slate. And what we're seeing here is both groups sort of mixing up-and-comers, as I call them, with notables to help bolster the notoriety of each of the respective slates. So the labor and work and family slate, you are seeing former elected officials like Jane Kim and John Avalos in the race. You're seeing Connie Chan, former elected official Gordon Marr, mixed with up-and-comers like Gloria Berry and Peter Galata, Leah Lacroix, Queen Chan, who are all sort of community organizers. And then on the opposite side of that, for the more moderate slate, the San Francisco Democrats for Change, Matt Dorsey, who's a current supervisor, Nancy Tung, who ran for office in the past and is a district attorney, Michaela Alioto Peer, Catherine Stephanie. So you can sort of see the strategy on both sides is similar. You get the elected official who comes with the notoriety, comes with resources, comes with the ability to raise money, mixed with folks who have been in community, folks who are organizing, folks who are on the ground doing work. And I think that's proven to work in the past, and it's a trend that we'll continue to see. The idea here is that each of these respective slates are allowed to not only fundraise on their own, but they also have the collective resources, strength in numbers, that they sort of pull together and are able to run a more effective campaign. I've always been an advocate and a strong believer that the Democratic Central Committee should not be a place for current elected officials. I mean, if you look at politics now, we need to build the bench on both sides, whether you're progressive or moderate, Republican, Democrat, there is a void in leadership. And the Democratic Central Committee and DCCCs should be the place where we're fostering new leadership, where we're bringing in new talent. It should be really reflective of what cities and what assembly districts should look like. At the foundation, it's about local and it's about getting people involved at the local level. But then we have these county central committees that then influence what's happening on the state and national level, and then what's happening nationally trickles back down as well. Can you talk a little bit about that interplay and how these committees influence up and receive influence from what's happening in other places? I mean, we have always been on the forefront of every single issue, whether it is health care, whether it is civil rights, we have been on the forefront. And these clubs and these central committees really are, particularly in San Francisco, ground zero for setting 
public policy and setting the tone for the rest of the nation. When we talk about folks getting involved and we talk about the importance of this race, the world is paying attention to what we're doing here in San Francisco. How do you think we could be more effective here in San Francisco, you know, without saying a particular agenda is right or wrong? Because sometimes San Francisco becomes a target. I'm a journalist, but national media often wants to pile on. They're like, ha, things aren't working in San Francisco. Are there things that the city could be doing to <laughs> ward off that kind of response? Or is that something that's just part of if you're in the spotlight, you're going to get positive and negative attention along the way? A little bit of it is about just being San Francisco and getting good, bad, and ugly news. But, you know, to me, I, I've been most frustrated with just the political infighting that is happening. It seems like we are pitting the smallest differences against each other. We all know the issues that are facing this city. You know, I believe that the folks who are elected care about this city, but we've got to figure out a way to get on the same page. It can't be this political infighting all the time, and it can't be this sort of tick for tack. As a lifelong resident, as someone who was born and raised here, my colleagues, my friends, people I grew up with all have that similar frustration that they feel like the infighting. It's unnecessary fighting when we can be diverting that energy and contributing that energy to actually solving these issues, right? We look outside, public safety is top of mind, homelessness is top of mind, affordability. And then in the background of all of that, there's the political infighting that's happening that doesn't allow for us to sort of move the needle forward in any of those real issues that we're facing here in San Francisco. San Francisco sets the tone for the rest of the nation. So I think that's what causes the political infighting and the friction is we are trying to hit the home run every time on every single policy that we pass when in actuality, sometimes it's okay just to get on base. And I think that's what residents are frustrated about is that let's just fix the streets. Let's clean up the streets. Let's address homelessness. Let's put people in housing. You see in our elected delegation on the state and even federal level, a lot of folks are coming out of Northern California. And that is something that we're obviously proud of, but that also means that there's a little bit of sort of ambition that comes with some of these roles. So when folks are making their way up the ranks, obviously the public policy sort of follows that. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about county central committees that you think would be important for people to know, especially those who are coming to the ballot and saying, who are these people and why am I voting for these positions? We talk about registering voters. We talk about setting the local and state party platform. That's just sort of the basic duties and the mandate of the Democratic Central Committee. Where the real power comes is chartering the Democratic clubs, endorsements of candidates and ballot measures across the city and fundraising. So this group could essentially elect the next supervisor in your neighborhood, elect the next mayor of San Francisco, elect the next board of education commissioner. Even on the fundraising side, what happens is we talked about the limits that each individual race has, but the party, once elected, they don't have a fundraising limit. So that means candidates who have the $500 limit that they're able to raise, they can coordinate with the local Democratic Party if they're an endorsed candidate. So that helps them reach more voters, that helps them do targeted communications, that helps them send out more mail, pay for digital ads, and really create a robust campaign in addition to the campaign that they are running for their respective office. Voting, I think at its core, is how we change systems. It is how we get ahead. It is how we 
let folks know that our voice is important. And I've always been a firm believer that you have to be engaged. If you are a resident in a community, it is your responsibility to be involved, whether that's voting, whether that's volunteering, whether that's getting involved in a democratic club. But just at its core, this is how we uplift the marginalized. This is how we ensure that the things we care about are in the hands of elected officials. Like voting has been instilled in me at a very young age. I remember going with my grandfather to the ballot box, which happened to be at my school. So this was ingrained in me at a very young age. And I think you can't complain. If you don't vote, you have no say. And the process is set up for that very reason. What are you seeing in terms of trends in community organizing, specifically in San Francisco? Any noticeable differences in what's happening with community organizing these days, whether around individuals or slates or support for or against different measures? I think organizing in San Francisco recently has been issue-based, really. You look at real estate development projects, you look at crime and public safety, you look at the affordability crisis. A lot of folks are deeply entrenched in single issues and that sort of dictates their voting behaviors. In a lot of cases, folks, they vote by affinity group in other places, but I think San Francisco is really issue-based and neighborhood-based. So we're starting to see more neighborhood groups form. We're starting to see sort of issue-based groups form. And I think it's healthy. Getting more people involved in the public process is obviously the end goal, but to get folks in community who are experts in certain areas just helps inform the overall ecosystem of residents and voters who are looking to people to help sort of shape the future of what the city looks and feels like. The DCCC gets to decide the who and the what, and then the ballot measures are specific sort of policy. So it's all sort of interconnected. And there's new groups forming out there that are taking it, literally taking this stuff to people's living rooms. All of the San Francisco Party representatives I talked to described increasing voter participation and engagement as top priorities. You can check out their websites to learn more about the candidates running for their county central committees, what the parties do, and how to get involved. We'll include those links in our show notes and in the article associated with this episode on our website, sfpublicpress.org. I'm Lila LaHood, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic comes to you from KSFPLP, 102.5 FM in San Francisco, a project of the San Francisco Public Press. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Additional music was supplied by the Blue Dot Sessions. Our team includes producer Liana Wilcox and KSFP program director Mel Baker. Our elections team also includes Sylvie Sturm, Madison Alvarado, Zhu Wu, Jessica Prado, Richard Nee, Noah Arroyo, and Michael Stoll. The San Francisco Public Press is a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Find more elections coverage and all our reporting at sfpublicpress.org. Thanks for listening.